Mm. Father in heaven, so awesome to have Ty here. And Father, even more awesome than having Ty here and all of those that are tuning in is to have your spirit here. Mm. Father, that's the thing that we really need. That's the thing we really covet. We have earthly teachers. We have earthly authors that we look to, and we're thrilled about that. But Father, the thing we're most thrilled about is we learn today that the Holy Spirit can come and teach things that no man can teach, that no human can teach, no rabbi can teach. And Father, today we need your spirit to be in our hearts to be with all of those that are tuning in and those that are listening later. Father, mm-hmm. may today's presentation, may today's conversation about the Passover visit from Luke 2, may it be powerful, mm. is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so Ty, I want to start by just mm. going to Luke chapter 2. All right. And I'm just going to read it through this section because it's really short. Okay. Just to sort of familiarize ourselves with Luke's narrative on it. And this is beginning in verse 41, which if you remember, right at the the opening chapter there, as is the case with most of these chapters, it'll say based on or drawn from, and then it gives you the passage. Mm, So I'm going to read that passage right here. It's nice and short, only about 10 verses long. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Mm -hmm. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son... Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's Mm. business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God Mm, mm, and mm, men. mm. Okay, so there's our passage time. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you a question, two questions actually, right at the outset that we addressed yesterday, but I'd love to have your insight and perspective. The first question I want to say is, in last chapter, as a child, and this chapter, the Passover visit, Ellen White is clearly tapping into material that's consistent with the trajectory of the story, but this is new material. Like, for example, today, the realization that the lamb was him... Luke doesn't say, we just read it in Luke, he doesn't say that. What do we do with that, and how do we make sense of Ellen White knowing more or saying more, at least in a few instances, than the text itself seems to strictly indicate? Okay, so so first of all, the, the way that I approach this is to suggest from the outset that if you are sufficiently biblically literate... Mm synthesis occurs in your thinking and you put pieces together on a on a level that you would not be able to put together if you were not sufficiently biblically literate so for example okay so you mentioned that in this chapter she suggests actually she explicitly says that things are dawning on him that he's realizing right. you know his mission and he's looking at the mystery of the Passover ceremony is like, whoa, that has something to do with me. And you say, okay, well, that's extra biblical material. Ellen White is saying something here that is not in Scripture. But 
we just read the scripture. Mm. And if you are sufficiently tuned in to what the passage says, you can deduce because it says two things. Number one, it says that when he was in the temple, he was asking questions. Yeah. So he, he was in the process of learning, making discoveries. Understanding. Well, yeah. And he wasn't feigning ignorance. He was asking these religious teachers questions. Well, how do we know he wasn't feigning ignorance? Well, when you come to the last verse that you read, it said that Jesus grew in wisdom. Grew in wisdom? I mean, this is God in the flesh. How, yeah, in, the world, how in the world do you grow in wisdom if you're God in the flesh? Don't you come into the world as a baby and right there in Mary's arms, two days old, you know everything? Right, exactly. <laughs> Ellen White is deducing with a high level of of biblical literacy, yes. she's putting pieces together and she's saying, okay, you can deduce from the passage that Jesus is undergoing realizations. Yes. He's learning, he's growing in wisdom. Now, in addition to that, I would simply add that I believe, as you believe, and people need to process this, however they want to process this, that Ellen White is also operating under prophetic guidance, mm. inspiration, um, now, we believe that the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament uh, continue yeah. to the end of time. Um, I myself experienced uh, some of this giftedness a few times, as you have. Yeah. We, we pray over somebody with a brain tumor. I could tell you stories of people who were healed of life-threatening diseases. No, absolutely. So the gifts of the Spirit continue. Why not the gift of prophecy? Paul names it. So, yeah. so actually... To say that, no, nobody in the New Testament era mm. could ever have the gift of prophecy is a violation of Scripture. I it's agree. a violation I of the totally New agree. Testament to say, no, don't expect any more prophetic insight. That God's done speaking. God's done speaking. So the, the canon is definitely closed. And we don't form doctrine from any source outside of Scripture. Sort of post-canonical revelation. That's right. When you say canon, we're talking about the Bible. Yeah, Genesis right. to Revelation. So, so I think two things are happening with Ellen White. One is inspiration. I mean, the Holy Spirit is guiding her mind. Yes, at right? a very high level. Yeah, but what is the nature of knowledge? The more knowledge you have, the more puzzle pieces you have, the clearer the picture becomes. So if you're sufficiently biblically literate, come on, you can deduce things from the text that are the exercise of your imagination and mm. your intuition based on the text of Scripture. Jesus was a child. Yes. He, he learned. Grew in, he he grew. learned. Clearly. So that's how I would, I would approach it. So you used a word there that's a very important word, and I love your answer. The idea is, is that these things are, at least in principle, deducible based on the yeah. trajectory of Scripture right. and... The mm -hmm. larger narrative, literacy is the word you're using. Yes. Now. now, interestingly, you use the word imagination, and in our very chapter that we're looking at today... Yeah, at the end there, huh? At the very end, page yeah. 88, 83 in the original. Listen to this. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ... We should take it point by point and let the imagination the grasp imagination. each scene, yes. especially the closing ones. So mm. the invitation here, she's basically giving us an insight into her own methodology. Yeah. Just Use your try to imagine you're there. Yeah. Use your imagination. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, yeah. so that's question number one. What do we do with this material that's certainly consistent with the trajectory, mm, mm. but does seem to be extra biblical? Second question, yeah. we addressed this yesterday, and then we'll get right into today's chapter. I mentioned yesterday that the Gospels, all of them, but especially the Gospel of John, are massively tilted, skewed, mm. away from the childhood of Jesus. Yes. I and mean, apart from these, these two glimpses really here in the Gospel of Luke, well, one glimpse, if you don't include mm. the Anna and Simeon when he was just an infant, right. Right, prophesying in the temple. Mm. This one sort of cameo appearance here of Jesus' childhood, Matthew stays away from it, Mark and John. Mm. Why do you think that is? I spoke to that a little bit yesterday, but I'd love to hear your perspective on why the childhood of Jesus is seemingly neglected in the gospel accounts. Well, I think it's hinted at in language that is used in the first uh, paragraph of this chapter. Um, the, the story is telling us that Jesus w went to the Passover with his parents uh, and he encountered the temple and its, its ceremonies. Mm. And there's something that had to take place in the passage. And that was that he needed to move through the process of becoming a faithful covenant son. So watch okay. this, watch okay. this. Okay. Go. In, the, in the first paragraph, Jesus is described with language that would have been common to ancient Israelites. Yeah. And I think it should come back into vogue, in fact, and I'll, I'll share with you why that is in a moment. But Jesus is called in the first paragraph, you guys, he's called the son, a, a son of the law. A son of the law. That's interesting language. A son of so, the law. A son of the law. In other words, Jesus at the age of 12 is engaging in the natural developmental process that Israel had, had constructed. And that is, hey, when you turn 12 years old, you're like a you, man. You're, you're like graduating into manhood. You're mm. moving through puberty. And one of the things you need to do is you need to begin a process of becoming literate in the law, by which the word law here is referring Torah. to the Torah. You need to become literate in the law. And this is a part of your growing up process to master scripture. Yes. To master scripture is a part of the growing up process. And Jesus has this encounter. And then what does he do? He proceeds to grow in wisdom that is of scripture as a son of the law. And he begins to grow in favor with God and man. Jesus is moving through the covenantal growing up process. And that covenantal growing up process involves going home. Yes. This, this chapter, she says that he went back home to be subject to his parents. Well, why not? Yeah. Why not? He's a son of the law. And the law is saying, well, the fifth honor your father. Yeah, that's yes, right. Honor your father and mother. Now, honoring your father and mother isn't just an emo emotional posture of, okay, I respect them. It also involves being a son of the law. Hey, mom and dad, teach me scripture. Mm. Give me, put me yes. in the, the rays of light from the God of heaven. And so Jesus is, is the whole time, I don't know how else to say this, is that these silent years, Jesus is preparing for yes. his public ministry. Yes. By being a son of the law. He's mastering scripture. And he's being a faithful son to his parents. So he's, he's becoming a faithful covenantal son. We, we talked about this in the chapter, the dedication, that Jesus was circumcised in accordance with the Jewish law. Mm, he was dedicated mm. in accordance with the Jewish law. Yeah. And you're making a really great point here. Uh, also, a large part of being a human being and being a Jewish yes. young man 
was supporting your parents, honoring your parents, right. learning the family trade. Yes. So I really like that idea. You know, Ellen White has that great sentence at the end of that chapter where she says, end of yesterday's chapter, he was doing the work of God just as verily when he was yes. at the carpenter's mm. bench as when he was speaking to the multitudes. Mm, exactly. So when you said something there, Ty, we mentioned this yesterday. This is also from yesterday's chapter, page 72. It reminded me, something you said reminded me of this. The very words which he himself had spoken to Moses for Israel, he was now taught at his mother's knee. Yeah, and that's, again, repeated in a different way in this chapter. So one of the things that I think we have to address, and you've already touched on it, but I want to just say it expressly, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. We sometimes have this idea, and by we I mean Christians have this idea, that Jesus just showed up with a full storehouse of knowledge. He had complete omnipotence, omniscience. They don't understand the concept described in Philippians 2 about the divestment, not of the ontology of divinity, Mm, but mm. the attributes of divinity. So are we saying then that Jesus actually had to learn stuff? Yes. (laughs) Jesus learned that he he first, prior to his incarnation, inspired the prophets to write what they wrote. He inspired the words they wrote. Incredible. And then he came into the world and he learned the words of the prophets that he had inspired. Incredible. Can you imagine Jesus sitting, as this chapter said, at his mother's knee and and Mary is reading to him passages of scripture and Jesus is thinking, that's fascinating. I wonder... He's thinking, that's a really wise thing God did. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Uh, Wow, I, I kind of feel like that has something to do with me. So <laughs> when you said that, Ty, it reminded me of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, that says, though he was a son, yet he learned, learned. obedience. It goes on to say, by the things he suffered, but don't miss the point. Though he, he was the son of God, the author of Hebrews says he learned yeah. obedience. Yeah. He learned what it was to be yeah. a son of the law. And you mentioned Philippians chapter 2, where it says that, that Jesus, who was equal with God, who was in very nature God, made himself nothing in one version, in the NIV. Mm. He made himself nothing and and of no reputation in another version. The Greek word there is kenosis, mm. which is a word that just means to empty, to drain. So, so, so you know, you have a picture, a, 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 a glass full of water, you empty it out. Kenosis has occurred. So there, there's something that Jesus used the word he divested himself of yeah. Yeah, 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 not yeah. the not the nature of divinity not the character of divinity but certain of the attributes. powers attributes of divinity so Jesus Jesus has put his personal omniscience voluntarily in remission wow in order to be a faithful son of the law <laughs> in order in order to be a covenantal son so I love what you said there. Jesus has put himself. When you read through Philippians 2, and we mentioned this a couple days ago, it says he humbled himself. Yes. He made himself. Voluntary act. Because nobody else could do that. No. Who else could humble God? Who could take (laughs) away the divine attributes of God? It had to be a personal, Mm. voluntary, selfless divestment. Exactly. Exactly. It's phenomenal. We We think of the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary as the sacrifice, and it is the pinnacle, it is the yes. apex of the sacrifice. But you guys think about this. When Jesus simply condescended to become a human being, that is a part of the great sacrifice made on yes. our behalf. Jesus engaged in what I sometimes refer to as a transmigration of nature. 
Wow. I mean, I mean, the space of ontological difference. Yes. Don't take this too personal. But the space <laughs> of the space of ontological difference between a a bug and a human is less ontological space than the space between being God and becoming a human. Yeah, infinite. I mean. God became a human. We're dealing with two totally different categories of being, the created and the creator, yeah. and there is an impassable yeah. chasm between them. If yeah. if God doesn't bridge that gap, we could never we could, bridge yeah. it. A bug is created, a human is created. There is a lot that's different, but <laughs> it's still, more than it's, the same. Yeah, it's still the category of created things. Okay. God is uncreated. So you, those are great answers. I love that. Now let's get into the chapter this is uh, page 8075 of the original. So she opens up with telling the story of Passover and a little bit about the history of Passover. Mm. Passover, of course, was the first feast in the Jewish calendar. It was the 14th day of the first month. And it was really the beginning of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. In fact, right. she says that. I'm reading in the, the birth of the nation. She says the observance of the yeah. Passover began with the birth of the Hebrew nation. And the idea was... Mm. The Passover was the 10th plague. The angel passed over the Israelite homes that had put the blood of the, of the lamb on the doorpost. And the idea was, we've got to be ready to go. Yeah. Bread without leaven, yeah. <clears throat> bitter herbs, staff in your hand. Yeah, and she yeah. tells that story, which is... Well, found, staff in your hand, shoes on your feet, correct. and David, your loins girded. <laughs> My loins are presently girded. <laughs> That's what the passage says. It does say that. It does, it does say that. Now, one of the things that I really like here is that it says, uh, this is Moses speaking, this is in Exodus 12. He says, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Or let's translate that. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Which is the natural sort of inquisitiveness of children. Like, yes. mom, why do we do that? Mom, why do we, dad, why do we, I mean, kids, mm. right? Am I yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always want to know why. It's, yeah. a, it's a very fascinating chapter in the development of a child when they learn that three-letter word, why. Yeah. But Why? But right. why? But why? Yeah. Any parent knows this. Yeah. So Moses says, they're going to ask you, hey, why are we every year getting a lamb, bringing it in the, bringing yeah. it in the home, eating it in a certain way? Right. And he says, teach them. Teach them. Yeah, page 76. Um, Thus, from generation to generation, the story of this wonderful deliverance was to be repeated. Yes. Repeated, 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 repeated. And I love the fact, and I've highlighted it here... You can see it there in yellow. I highlighted the word story. Yeah. And, we, we, and I know this is a real passion of yours, Ty. In fact, I think you're writing a book on it right now. That Was that a, was that a given anything away there? No, no, okay, it's okay. fine. So, so the idea that, and this is, the, this is the centerpiece of the Arise program as well, and the church that you pastor, storyline. So the idea is, is that scripture is telling a mm, story. There right. is a giant yeah. narrative made up mm, of lots mm, of mm, little mm, narratives. Mm. And... We can see ourselves as a part of that story. So, yeah. so every year, annually, when Passover would come around, they would be reminded, hey, we're in a story. Yeah. We're in a narrative. Yeah. Something is happening. God is doing something in the world, yeah, yeah. and we're a part of it. Yeah. And I like the fact that there needs to be repetition. Yes. And here's why. Repetition, <laughs> we say, deepens impression. But now there are dangers to repetition because once you know something so well, you uh -huh. can go into intellectual neutral and assume you understand it exhaustively. Yeah. But the, the, the upside far outweighs the downside. And that is, you know, as we mentioned a moment ago, if you, if you become sufficiently literate in the story, in the narrative of scripture, 
oh my goodness, yeah. pieces start to fall into place and you have epiphany after epiphany yes. after epiphany. Yes. You realize things, you have explosions <clears throat> of understanding that go off in your mind. So, so really, uh, this is, I said earlier, the reason I like this language, son of the law, is because I think that we, you, whoever you are, myself, David, we should consider it one of our responsibilities as human beings, as followers of Jesus, to master scripture, to master, yes. not just the preacher, yeah, to know. not just the preacher. We should teach our, we should raise our children in such a way that the stories of scripture are just in their consciousness. They just, yes. they just, they just know scripture. Next thing you know, you're 20 years old and your brain is flooded with the narrative of scripture so that as you navigate through yes. life, David, you're navigating through life. God has material to draw upon continually to guide you, to prompt you, to convict you, to pull you back from a precipice. Your, your brain yeah, is, no, I get it. Yeah. I get it. So it's there. It's there. It's there. When you say, I love the idea of mastering scripture, and you don't mean that in the sense that we have total awareness of every detail. Oh, never will. But that, but that we understand the basic flow yes. and trajectory yeah. of scripture. And our yeah. children should know that. Yeah, yeah. And one of the obligations of Jewish parents, and I would say one of the obligations of Christian parents, was to familiarize mm. their children with these stories. And Moses says, do it year after year. Generation after yeah. generation. Yeah. And in Deuteronomy, every morning and every evening. We looked at that yesterday, yeah. Deuteronomy 4. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now I'm on page, same page there, the, the section that ends with the story of this wonderful deliverance. I love the next paragraph. All the ceremonies of the feast were types of the work of Christ. I underlined that too. You did too. Yes. That's amazing. And then just uh, two sentences later, the slain lamb, the unleavened bread, the sheaf of first, first fruits represented the Savior. Yeah, all of it. So in an earlier chapter, we saw that Ellen White was describing how when Jesus came, the shadow met the substance, mm, mm. type met anti-type. Anti yeah. Could you, Ty, just spend, I don't know, a minute? What does that mean? The shadow met the substance yeah. when Jesus came. And this is what's happening here, mm -hmm. right? When Jesus goes to the Passover visit, that's yeah. truly an instantiation of the shadow yeah. Meeting the substance. Yeah, yeah. What are we talking about when we say that? Well, shadow substance is essentially enactment meeting reality. So a, oh. part of, a part of the Jewish economy, the way their year unfolded, the Jewish year was yes. an act. It was an enactment. It was a play was a on a stage. Yeah, it yeah. Was a, they, were, they were enacting the entire saga of redemption in their year. So their year, the whole year and every step along the way, the feasts being yep. integral to that, was an enactment of redemption. So when the, when the priest is performing his priestly tasks, mm. he is enacting yes. the up and coming reality which is Jesus Christ. When the priest is is presiding over the slain of the lamb, the blood is shed, some of the blood is taken into a bowl, it's taken into the temple, the lamb is put on the altar, it is burned and the smoke ascends. All of this is basically gospel theater. And as gospel mm. theater, they're just enacting, 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 and that enactment becomes reality on the stage of history in the person of Jesus Christ. Type meets antitype, shadow, shadow meets 
substance. So if you think about a literal shadow, if you're standing outside mm. and the sun is shining across you, you can see the shadow and you yeah. just keep tracing yeah. that shadow, keep tracing yeah. it, tracing it, tracing it back. And eventually it's going to end at your foot. And yeah. the shadow will meet the substance. The, the worlds will collide. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, Ty, on that, two ideas that we just talked about are now coming together in a really interesting way. The very next paragraph says, with most people in the days of Christ, the observance of this feast had degenerated into formalism. Mm, yeah. But what was its significance to the Son of God? One of the things that we've encountered already in the opening chapters here, she talks about how the priests were day by day rehearsing yeah. a performance, yeah. formalism, ceremonies, rites, rituals. Yeah. We yeah. talked about their... At the dedication, the priest is holding in his hand the one who Moses said, show me your glory, and he's oblivious. Right, right, right. So, so maybe a practical question, Ty. How do we prevent the rites and rituals and ceremonies and the routines of religion from becoming dry formalism? By acting out the implications in obedience. So, okay, unpack that. Okay, so, so that's what I meant a moment ago when I said repetition and mastering the text does have a potential downside. And that is that once you know something by rote, mm -hmm. right, it can, as she says, degenerate into just Formal. religious rigmarole. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're yeah, just, yeah. okay, we're just doing this, this again. This is what we do. We're just doing this again. We're just doing this again. But if you move through the process of sacrificing the lamb, for example, in the ancient Israelite economy, you can just move through that ceremony and not apply it to the way you relate to your children, your wife, your neighbor. Mm. Or you can say, look what's going on there. Here is the mystery of self-abnegation. Here is the mystery of self-sacrifice. Here is the mystery of giving, giving, giving. And then if you take that, that, that type, that shadow, that ceremony, and you then turn humanward and you say... I'm going to live out the implications of that ceremony in relation to yes. you, my brother. Yeah. Okay, now, now it's not going to degenerate into formalism because I'm connecting the dots through my actual living out of the implications of the text. I love that. Yeah. One of, yeah, no, I absolutely love that. One of the themes that emerges in Ellen White's writings that we've not touched on, but even in the first sort of eight chapters here, she talks a lot about selfish and selfless. Yeah. And what you're describing here is the selfless human heart that mm -hmm. that when the heart is regenerated by the spirit, we can actually behave in ways that are consistent yeah. with the theater of religion. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay, I like that. Now You're gonna, not going to go past that page already, are you? No, 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 no. I was actually getting ready to read the very section okay, that you have. Okay. okay. For the first time, where is this where I met? Yeah, okay. So let's just read this. This is uh, page 82 in this Types is, and Symbols. You really should like tune in right now because this paragraph is just this absolutely mind-blowing. Here we go. In fact, look what I've written in the margin here. Wow. wow. Exclamation I've written point. margin. Yeah. Uh, here we go. For the first time, the child Jesus looked upon the temple. He saw the white-robed priests performing their solemn ministry. He beheld the bleeding victim upon the altar of sacrifice. With the worshipers, he bowed in prayer while the mm. cloud of incense ascended before God. He witnessed the impressive rites of the Paschal service. Day by day, he saw their meaning more clearly. Every act seemed to be bound up with his own mm. life. Mm. New impulses were awakening within him. Silent and absorbed, wow. he seemed to be studying out a great problem. problem. 
The mystery of his mission was opening to the Savior. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible writing. Come on. Come on. It, 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 just on a literary level. Just on a literary level, that <laughs> yeah. writing is yeah. so characterized by clarity. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And, okay. So can I just dive something in. out? Dive okay. in. So her very strategic placement of the word seemed. Ooh, I didn't notice that. Okay. okay. So she's saying every act seemed to be bound up. She's actually putting herself oh. in the psychology of Jesus at this point. And she, she's, she's saying, hey, um, so as Jesus is watching the unfolding of the Passover yeah, and yeah, the yeah, sacrifice, yeah, yeah, yeah. it seemed to him. Now, the word seemed indicates that Jesus is contemplating implications and he's drawing conclusions yes and he's saying hey wait a minute so 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 she's she's portraying she doesn't say jesus knew she says it seemed to him hmm yeah it seemed to him okay so so he's again coming back to our our earlier comments he's now growing in his perception he's making the connections and New impulses yeah, that's incredible. were awakening in him. Incredible. New impulses were impulses. What's an impulse? Well, you 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 have here the idea of an inclination. Yes. Okay, that would be a synonym for impulse, and impulse is an inclination. Jesus is watching the unfolding of the ceremony of the Passover lamb, and he's experiencing new impulses. Impulses in the direction of living out the implications that's me hmm that's i want that's uh, yeah oh wow impulses to self sacrifice impulses to giving impulses these are new impulses that are awakening inside the god of heaven in the flesh it's, it's a miracle it's amazing this story could have never been invented no, no. one could have no dreamed this up no we're, we're too egocentric to imagine this. No. I often refer to this as the uninventability of the story of Jesus. Yeah. Right? History is filled with stories of men that sought to become God, but only one story of the God who literally became man. Yeah. And learned, what went through yeah. the developmental progression that yeah. we're describing here. I love the fact that you highlighted the strategic use of the word seemed. I underlined okay, what about? I don't know how I missed that. How about working out a great problem? Oh, no, that's, that <laughs> okay. popped to me. That okay, popped. working out a great problem. Not a problem like, you know, where am I going to get lunch today? <laughs> but a, 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 problem, a problem along the lines of an equation. Yes. Okay, so he's, he's, yes. he's, he's putting pieces together and he's saying, okay, there's that. Okay, there's this lamb part. And then the lamb is slain. Hmm. Blood flows, then it's put on the altar. They light it on fire. He's 12 years old. Right. He's 12 years old, you guys. He, oh, and now it burns to ashes. Pieces. Yeah. Problem. They seem to be working out yeah, a great yeah. problem. It's an equation. It's, it's the gospel equation. He's deducing. He's working it out. He's saying, hmm, hmm, hmm. What are the implications here? The very next paragraph begins with wrapped in contemplation of the scenes. There's the word contemplation, yeah. the opening, the awakening. He did not remain beside his parents. And I thought this was fascinating. She says it a couple times in the chapter. He sought to, to be, be alone. alone. Yeah. And yeah. I saw somebody said earlier, I don't remember who it was, that, that we need to be alone. I saw it in the comments. And mm. 
I mean, uh, that's a really powerful... There are things yeah. that we can learn in concert with others. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's a lot right with it in mm -hmm. community, in connection with yeah. others, in the synergy and cross-pollination that happens among people. But there's also times where we just have to be alone, alone. You have and to. listen to God. Yeah. And Jesus was like, he's yeah. trying to take it all in. Yeah. These new impulses are awakening right. in his mind, and he thinks, I need some time alone. Yeah, and it's intentional. He sought it. He said, hey, I'm, I'm exiting this... So, Ty, so, do we live at a time yeah. right now where we, yes. we, there's a poverty yes. of yes. alone time? There is a poverty of alone time. How, how do we remedy that? Well, you know, I recently have been doing a lot of thinking about um, the fact that we are just continually bombarded with information. Yesterday, it dawned on me, hey, wait a minute. If you spend too much time on alone... That is absorbing, for example, all the news feeds of social media. Yeah. You get the impression that almost everybody on the planet's a a-hole. Right. Basically, a Every, everybody's yeah. a bad person. Be, but but I, I realized yesterday, I thought, you know what? I'm always around people that I don't even know. I'm in airports. I'm renting cars. I'm traveling. I'm moving about. I'm encountering hundreds of people all the time. And I thought, you know, these things that are constantly highlighted on social media of somebody going berserk in a Walmart refusing to do this or that or the other thing, these, these bad attitude people, they're rare. Mo most people are just, <laughs> most people are just, most people, people are just in there to get some top ramen, bro. And they're just like, I'm just going to get in here, get out of here, go home. I'm out. It creates a skewed version of reality. It's, yeah. So you can, the media, the media, yeah. we, you have to remind yourself, the media is a business, right? Yeah. Like they have employees. And, 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 and you're the product. You're the product. I'm the product. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Your eyes. Yeah. And so this is a great point you're making. Yeah. Yesterday we talked about how children should be exposed to nature and they mm. should be, you know, regularly removed from the yeah. artificiality of yeah. life. Yeah. I mean, if life was artificial in Jesus' day, yeah. if life was artificial in Ellen White's day, what would life be today? Oh, it, it's, it's a giant piece of plastic. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. So you need to be intentional about being alone. You need to have alone time. Which is devotions. One of the great desires of the DA with DA Challenge is to model and to teach how to read. I mean, this is collective. We're doing it together. It's great. But we're yeah. not going to do this for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Modeling how to read, how to think, how to pray, how to ascertain the point of a passage yeah. or a chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're hoping that there's yeah. tools here that will be grasped yeah. by the listeners, by the participants, and they'll take that into the next book they read, yeah. the next chapter they read, the next you know, uh, paragraph, uh, chapter of scripture they yeah. read. That's the idea. Yeah. Looping back to the first, cha the first paragraph of this chapter, uh, I would encourage you to self-identify. Mm. Say to yourself out loud, even right now, wherever you are, say, I am a son of the law. I am a daughter. I am a daughter of the law. Yeah. That's who I am. I am a person that is held captive to the text of scripture and I'm going to spend time with it alone. Okay, so what ends up happening next is th there's this fascinating little insight that Ellen White does here at the bottom of that, the very next um, paragraph after he sought to be alone. And I, I just wrote interesting twice here in the margin. In the visit to Jerusalem, the parents of Jesus wished to bring him in connection with the great teachers of Israel. And I loved this. This is at a young age. This is at 12. While he was obedient in every particular to the word of God, he did not conform to the rabbinical rites and usages Joseph and Mary had hoped yeah. that he might be led to reverence the learned rabbis and give more diligent heed to their requirements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was some goulash going on. What does that mean? 
You know what goulash is? I do, but well, I don't know. Goulash. There was goulash. You guys, there was goulash going on, and the goulash was. Explain. There, there were the ingredients God had had actually provided. Okay. <laughs> That's called the Bible. Okay. <laughs> and then, then people were throwing in the, the the Jewish teachers were throwing in a whole bunch of some okay. some stuff that didn't belong to the text. Okay. And Jesus somehow was. Saying, I'm not comfortable with that. I haven't <laughs> found good, that in the text. Yeah, I'm good with I'm good with this because that is in the text. But I'm not fine with that. So Jesus, is, even as a kid, was not participating in some of the added extra biblical rigmarole yeah, yeah, yeah. that had been. You know, he's like, you know, I, you know, I I'm not a goulash kind and of guy. <laughs> I don't want the goulash. I don't want... mix the <laughs> yeah. the sacred with the profane. Yeah. You know, there are instances of this in the Gospels. When the religious leaders or the observers come to Jesus, they say, hey, mm. your disciples don't wash their hands. Yeah. And Jesus is like, okay, so it's not that what goes in, it's what comes out that defiles yeah. it. Hey, your disciples are eating, you yeah. know, harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Yeah. It's like, if you knew what scripture was teaching, yeah. you would not have condemned the guiltless. Would you allow me to punch this in the nose? Please. Okay, I want to punch this in the nose. Punch it in the nose. Because they weren't just doing it back then. We're doing it now. Religiosity tends in the direction of maximizing what is not biblical in order to cover for things we're disobeying that are plain. So we, Whoa, we okay. Yes. So so we we need to take scripture seriously, right? But here's the thing. We moralize things that scripture doesn't even talk about. We're like, that's, don't do this and don't do that. And I had somebody come to me recently and say, Ty, really, you're out of harmony with the will of God when you preach without a tie. Now, I'm just using that as an example. I think most of you, if not all of you, are like, well, that's ridiculous. But for some people, it's not ridiculous. This has been, this has been moralized, right? And I don't even mind preaching with a tie. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But, but the point is, is that we make moral issues out of things that Scripture doesn't even address in order to, to strain nets so that we can, we can secretly be swallowing camels on the sly. It, there's an impulse in the human heart to move away from what the text of Scripture actually says yeah. to create our own inventions and yeah. particularities. Oh, it has to be this way. I pastored a church where you could not preach in, unless you were in a dark suit. You could not take up the offering unless you were in a dark suit. Like, it was just, it was understood. And if you violated that, then it was like, hey, David's out of harmony with... Dude, I was on a tropical island, and it was no less than 100 degrees with high humidity, and I was to preach the 11 o'clock service, and I showed up with a nice shirt on, unbuttoned, no jacket, no tie, and as we gathered behind, the brothers said, where's, where's the Sabbath attire? I said, you're looking at it. This is the Sabbath attire this Sabbath. It's hot. And they sent somebody out into the congregation to find somebody approximately my size, and no. they and they and they nabbed a jacket no. and a tie from some brother, brought it back to me, and had me put that on in order to be prepared to preach. And you did because yeah, you accommodated. I, I, yeah, I, mean, not, I want to preach the word. You know, I'm right. not, I could care less. <laughs> but but I'm just I'm just pointing out that it was a it was. This is not talking about something that used to happen a long time ago. Yeah, them. We're all like inclined to make our own goulash. Yeah, to make our own ideas and uh, mm -hmm. personal preferences normative for other people. We, we should, do Yeah, this. we should give people space 
to operate within the text of Scripture and not impose things on people that, that are just not there, that are just not there in the text. One of the prophecies about Jesus is a prophecy that I think a lot of people read and don't understand. It says that when Messiah would come, when the Deliverer would come, he wouldn't quench a smoking flax or break yeah, a bruised yeah, yeah, reed. Yeah. He was very tender, very yeah. sympathetic. In fact, we're going to see that at the close of this chapter in the way that he relates to his mom. Yeah. When he realizes what's going to happen to him, how that's going to mm, impact mm, his mm, mom, mm. his sympathies immediately go yeah. to her, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Outside of himself, thinking about his mom. That's right. That's okay, right. let's go a little further here. So then he, he makes his way into the temple, and he's you know it says here that there was an apartment that was connected with the temple that was a, devoted to a sacred school after the manner of the schools of the prophets. Here, leading rabbis and their pupils assembled, and here the child Jesus came. Seating himself at the feet of these grave, learned men, he listened to their instruction, and I like this, as one seeking for wisdom. The very next paragraph says, as Jesus presented himself as one thirsting for a knowledge of God, his questions were suggestive of deeper truths. So I love that. And by the way, this is intimated in Luke's account. This idea is actually intimated in Luke's account because let me just read it to you. The idea that he was there with a sincere heart, ready, willing, and desirous to learn by the insertion of a single word. Listen to this, verse 46 of Luke 2. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. So he wasn't there like to show them up. There was no arrogance. No arrogance, mm. no display. We saw that in our last chapter. Jesus he never said, hey, by the way, I'm God in the flesh. Right. Let me tell you. In fact, Jesus was quite demure. He very often later in his ministry will be asked point blank, tell us if you're the Messiah. Yeah. And he was demure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Incredible. Okay, Incredible. so he sits down there and um, he then starts to ask, she says, specifically questions about the prophecy of Isaiah. Almost certainly a reference to Isaiah 53, right? Yeah, yeah. And... Um, he asked them the meaning of those scriptures that point to the suffering and the death of the Lamb of God. He pointed out, I'm quoting here, a depth of meaning that the wise men, that is to say the rabbinical teachers, had not conceived of. And then I like this part. She says that they recognize, hey, this kid's smart. This kid, this kid's a son of the law, a true son of the law. We better get control of him. We better get control of him. In fact, that's actually <laughs> what it says. This is the last sentence here in the next paragraph. It says, they wanted to have charge of his education Feeling that a mind so original must be brought under their molding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's take that original mind and make it unoriginal. Let's make it just like us. Yeah, exactly. And unto our molding. Okay, so then Jesus spends this time. Am I skipping over anything, Ty, here that you've got underlined there? No, no, okay. no that's good. So then top of the next page, page 84 or 80 in the original pagination. I love this. The words of Jesus had moved their hearts. Mm-mm. But then it goes on to say, in their pride... They would have sworn to admit that they could receive instruction from anyone. So it's fascinating. She says it had to have been a child asking sincere and curious questions that got them thinking. Because if somebody would have come in and actually tried to teach them something, they would have, you know, pulled rank, put them in their place and said, who are we to learn from you? You're teaching us. Yeah. You're teaching us. But a child. Yeah, we're the rabbis. That's right. But a child asking the right kinds of questions with a sincerity, with a a genuineness, with a curiosity got them thinking. Yeah. Hey, this kid is on to something. They could kind of learn incognito without without letting on that they were learning. She literally says at the end of that chapter that the Holy Spirit spoke to their hearts. I mean, mm-hmm. what must that have yeah, been like? Yeah. I mean, we can imagine 
that at this point there could have been individuals like Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea. Listening in. Because later on in his adulthood, these guys are emerging. And the book of Acts actually says that a number of the Pharisees believed. Yes. You know, this could be the fruit of his labors Great early point. on. Great point. There could have been seeds planted yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Jesus disarmed their prejudices. Yeah, I, the picture she paints here is of Jesus being kind, attentive, yeah. curious, yeah. genuinely wanting mm-hmm. to learn. And yet the nature of the questions that he was asking were so original. Yeah so different to what they were accustomed to, I don't think he was matching them point by point on the incredible... I mean, they had years, they had decades of learning that he didn't have, but the nature of his questions, the the trajectory of his questions Mm -hmm. were causing them to go, well... And and she says a funny thing. She actually says that, that they asked him questions under the guise, ostensibly testing his knowledge of yeah, Scripture, yeah. but because they didn't actually know the answer. They didn't know the answer. They thought, maybe he does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then the scene cuts away, and it says, meanwhile, Joseph and Mary, right? So, Well, before that, okay. can I just point something out Please. in the previous paragraph? Of course. Well, this is really important, I think, David, because it, it says that, that they had an interpretation of the prophecies that had overlooked the self-sacrificing elements, right? Mm. Jesus was asking about the self-sacrificing elements of Isaiah's prophecy, she's pointing out. Yes. And they had kind of, you know, just brushed over that part and had, had really focused on parts of the Old Testament canon that would, she says, flatter. theories that would flatter their ambition. Yeah. Right? Well, their ambition was political power. Yes. They wanted they wanted the Reign Romans supreme to supreme over the Romans. Yeah, they wanted the Romans to be conquered and they wanted a messiah. They wanted a military messiah who would exalt Israel to the pinnacle of political power by force. That's what they had imagined. That was their theology. Their entire theological orientation yes. was one that emphasized messiah will come and he will put the Romans in their place. And there will Israel be, be blood, yep. and Israel will be at the pinnacle of power, and we will rule. You know, this this, this is this it, is their theology. It's a giant setup. It's yeah. John chapter one verse eleven. He came to his own, and his own received yeah. him not, because yeah. they were totally unprepared for a Messiah that looked and thought and, and Jesus, acted like yeah, this. And Jesus is like, hey, but um, what do you think those parts mean? Where it says that that <laughs> what do you think it means? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What about those parts about sacrifice? What do you think those parts mean? They're like, hmm, what do they mean? Okay, so then it cuts away to meanwhile. And I've always thought that this chapter had a very cinematic feel. Mm. Uh, Not just the chapter in Desire of Ages, but even this scene. Like, I would love to see this scene. In fact, yesterday I talked about how if there's any scene that you could see in the Old Testament or the New Testament, I like to imagine being a fly on the wall. And I said, man, imagine having been there when the wise men showed up, because Ellen White paints this incredible picture, the wise men get to Bethlehem. There's no royal guards. There's no august right. assembly. They go inside. Here's yeah. a bunch of animals, mm. a child in a feeding trough. And I was like, wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall there? Mm. That would have been awkward. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. hey, uh, so we're yeah. looking for Messiah. And awkward transitions to awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is another one of those scenes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To just have been a fly on the wall, to have seen the childhood Jesus asking, penetrating, mm. insightful, original yeah. questions. Meanwhile, at the ranch, right? That is meanwhile. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's Mary how it says, meanwhile. <laughs> and, and this is a very cool insight. And she actually says it. I actually deduced this from the text. This is a very good example of biblical literacy. Mm-hmm. Before she said it expressly, she says, they trusted him implicitly 
and they anticipated that he would attend to their wants as he had always done. In other words, I, I've told my children from a very young age, you will get freedoms and opportunities that correspond not with your chronological age, but with your responsibility. Yeah. So if you behave like an 18-year-old when you're 10, 11, and 12, I'll treat you like that. Yeah. Right? Like these, The numbers are almost meaningless because, right. because we've all met those 21, 22, 31-year-olds that act like children. But you do get the exceptional, rare child mm. that behaves mm. really maturely. So yeah. you could say, well, they were irresponsible here. And they were. They were. I mean, he's only 12 years old. But they well, also, she goes on to say they were. They should correct, have been paying correct. attention to their kid. But they had been so conditioned by his responsibility. Yeah, they were like, by we the way him. that he conducted himself. Of course, he's with us somewhere. He's just somewhere. Right, he's in the right crowd. here. With we us. just haven't seen him for a yeah, little he's bit. Yeah, he's in this group. But when they arrive, they realize when they arrive that evening and they start looking around among their family members, clansmen, and mm -hmm. those that they were traveling with, uh, he's not there. He's not there. So then they go back and look for him. And I wrote here, you can see this, they got their wish. Because when they find him, he's in the school of the rabbis. Yeah. So Because so remember, earlier, yeah, yeah. She says, yeah. They, he, they wanted to bring Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you need to be more respectful and more reverential of the rabbis and of their teachings. And so when they go in, I can just imagine yeah. they're at first flush. Yeah. Number one, obviously, they're, oh, there he is. Oh, they're relieved. Mm. Because she says they remembered, you know, Herod had tried to... Yeah. You know, so they were nervous. Right. But when they go in, I can just see, they, they see it at a distance. And there's mm, Jesus mm. sitting with all of the other students. And there's the rabbis. And they think, yeah. oh, this is so good. Yeah, yeah. This is what, They're this probably is just what we them. were hoping for. Yeah, yeah. But then they listen in and they're like, oh. Yeah. Jesus, literally, over the course of this week, yeah. Jesus went from being a boy to being a man. Yeah, yeah. He, he went, and it's dawning on his parents. Well, and that's where we get to the section where he, it says he like literally said to Joseph, hey, you've done a great job. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, Joseph, thanks. But I'll be going with God from here on I'll out. take it from here, <laughs> yeah. but thanks for the work you've done. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. he's a man now. I can drive a nail. I can drive a nail. Thanks for the hammer. Thanks for the nails. Thanks for the carpentry. Thanks for being such a good dad. Thanks for teaching me scripture. But I'll be with God, my father, from here on yes. out. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm on the next page. Let me know if I miss, mess, uh, skip over anything. I'm on the top of page 86. Uh, in the answer to his mother, Jesus showed for the first time that he understood his relation to God. Right? Yeah. Yet, would you not that I would be about my father's business? Because she had hunches about it. She, she had actually hunches about knew it. that he's probably the Messiah. Take yeah. out the word probably. She was like, she knew my he was son the Messiah, is the Messiah. She didn't understand the mission going right. back to the thing. Yeah. She would have believed mm -hmm. what everybody else believed right, about right, the Messiah. Right, right, right. And so when he says to her, yeah, wouldn't you want me to be about my father's business? Ellen White adds this fascinating little imaginative detail. She says that Mary was confused and he pointed upward. He pointed upward, <laughs> yeah. Don't you think I should be She's about like, Joseph's just over here. You should be about Joseph's business, he's yeah. like. Uh, and then she said, for the first time. Yeah. For the first what time a scene. it says. What, what a, a scene, scene, huh? Don't you know that I should be about my father's business? And she's thinking, well, yeah, Joseph was expecting... And he just goes, he points up. Yeah. She says the very thing you just mentioned a moment ago. Yet while she believed that her child was to be Israel's Messiah, she did not comprehend his mission. No. She doesn't. No. She doesn't get it. No, of course not. Nobody gets it. <clears throat> Nobody. Right? Nobody's going to get it. Uh, they eventually he himself will. is just getting it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so now next paragraph, a mission had opened to Jesus in the temple he shrank from contact with the multitude. This is the second time now that he wants to be alone, right? As they're traveling mm -hmm. back, he doesn't want to be with the multitudes. Yeah. He just wants yeah. to. 
this has had a deep impact on him, mm -hmm. and, and a deep impact is even facile. That's such a light, easy way of saying it. Right, I mean, right. this was moving him to the inner depths of his being. Yeah, yeah. There's a miraculous thing going on here. Um, then it says here, um, next page, the Savior was not attracted to their company. He wanted to be alone. Oh, this is the part I wanted to get to. It says, um, as Joseph and Mary should return, I'm on page 87, 83 of the original, should return from Jerusalem alone with Jesus, he hoped to direct their minds to the prophecies of the suffering Savior. Upon Calvary, he sought to lighten his mother's grief. He was thinking of her now. He was thinking of her. He was thinking of her mm, now. Mm. That is how reflexive <clears throat> and instinctive selflessness is. Yeah, yeah. He is facing this monumental, gargantuan, great problem that he's trying to solve in his mind, and yet his instinct is to say, but what about mom? Yeah, what about my mom? What about my mom? She needs to be cared for. She needs to be cared for and she needs to be prepared for what's coming. Yeah. Um, she had sought him sorrowing three days. Oh, this is a great point of application. So she makes the application that a lot of preachers have made. They lost him in one day, took him three days to find him. Yeah, right? So that's a yeah. very, it's a really great mm -hmm. application how we can lose Jesus. And then it, you know, we're like, hey, I thought I had Jesus with me and it takes us a while to find yeah. him. But then she makes this very cool application. Talk about being biblically literate, having your mind saturated with the great themes of Scripture. As Jesus had been separated from her and she had sought him sorrowing three days, so when he should be offered up for the sins of the world, he would again be lost to her for three days. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good writing. That's good writing. Good that's good insight. Yeah. That's good application. Yeah, yeah. That's why we read yeah. Desire of Ages for those little nuggets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those nuggets right there. Um, and then Ellen White spends basically the rest of the sort of last four or five paragraphs here going into the application, mm -hmm. right? By one yeah. day's neglect, they lost the Savior. It cost them three days of anxious search to find him. So with us, yeah, yeah. she says that. So with us, in our association with one another, we should take heed lest we forget <clears throat> Jesus <clears throat> and pass along unmindful that he is not with us. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think of this line? that this is why discouragement so often exists among the professed followers I literally, of Christ. look at that, I've got that underlined and I wrote, whoa, yeah. in the margin. So, so this is why, she yeah. says. Oftentimes, what in life discourages us would not have discouraged us if we had remained tight with Jesus. Often in life, what discourages <clears throat> us would not have discouraged yeah. us if we would have been in proximity to Jesus yeah. as we could have been. Yeah. She gives three <clears throat> ways to stay in proximity to mm. Jesus. Bottom of page 87, 83 of the original. She says meditation, watchfulness, which is really cool in the context of this chapter, and yeah. prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Meditate. Ty, this is as good a point as any. Then she says a thoughtful hour each day to go to our rubric. So what we've been doing, Ty, is every okay. day when we come to the end of the chapter, I ask basically four questions and then we claim the promise. Okay, mm. so the questions are, what is the point? Who is the person? How should I pray? Where can I practice this in my life? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, Ty, in your summary version of this chapter, what is the point of this chapter? Why was this chapter written? Why is it there? What's the point? I, I think for me, and there are many points, of course. Uh, yeah, We've covered, yeah. Okay, but This but is for more me, of a devotional exercise yeah. than an analytical exercise. Yeah. For you, yeah. what popped to you? And then I'll talk about what popped to me. The standout for me is, is to self-identify as a son, a child of Scripture. To, to, mm. to self-identify, to say, I'm about Scripture. Scripture's about me. 
I'm in interaction with God. I am a son of the law. I am a son of the covenantal promises of God, and I need to flood myself with the with knowledge scripture. of Scripture. Yeah, I, I love the fact Jesus that modeled that for me. Jesus and for modeled you. it. Yeah. This, the point of this chapter is Jesus actually subjected himself to that process of becoming a faithful covenantal son. That is actually what my point was. I wrote it down. Jesus was a real person. He lived like we live. Yeah. He learned like we learned. Yeah, exactly. I, I, this is a really good illustration, everyone, and I hope you're getting a feel for this. Ty read through the chapter this morning. I read through the chapter this morning. You read through the chapter at some point in the last day or two. And the thing that yeah. impressed me is not exactly the thing that impressed Ty, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to Ty. Mm -hmm. what, what were you pointing at there? Mel was saying, I am a, I am a daughter of, I'm a faithful daughter of the covenant or something like that. Beautiful. It went by, it's gone now, but she was just self-identifying and say, yeah, that's me. I'm a daughter of the covenant. Feel that. Yeah. Feel that yeah. as an identity. Okay. So that's the point of the chapter. Question, who is the person, Ty? What do you learn about Jesus? What do you learn about God mm -hmm. and Jesus as he represents God from this chapter? Specific things. Well, the specific thing that stands out to me is the humble manner in which Jesus... Look at what I wrote down. Are you down. serious? That's literally really? the first oh. word I wrote down. <laughs> There's no corroboration here. I no. basically just showed up this morning and we hadn't He was hiding behind this. the couch. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that Jesus, Jesus was God... In the flesh. I cannot believe you just said that. I literally wrote humble incarnation. Humble incarnation. Yeah. Jesus was God in the flesh, and yet he was humble in his interactions with the teachers of the law, with the rabbis, with the people. Who I were, cannot believe this. Yeah. That's literally what I wrote, that he was, quote, teachable. A, yeah. a fascinating idea. Wow, that wow. Insofar as it wow. was possible for God to learn, when it came time for him to learn, he was teachable. Symbiosis, David. I love this. <laughs> okay. And then I had a third one. I had a third one. Is there anything else that popped at you? So you had the humble thing. You had the sort of te teachable I liked all thing. That. Yeah. I put thoughtful because as we were just talking about a he moment ago. He contemplated. Well, not just that. But yes, yes, certainly that. But just with regards to his mother's welfare. Oh, yeah. The yeah. way that he just so yeah. instinctively, yeah. reflexively. Mm. And this is how I see the great yeah. plan of yeah. salvation. Mm. There's this great quotation in the Corpus of Ellen White where she says, the moment there was a sinner, yeah. there was a savior. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah, God reflexively, yeah. instinctively, automatically, ontologically says, oh, someone's in need, yeah. I'm there. Yeah, That's yeah. why Peter can say, Lord, save me, I perish. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's yeah. just instant. God's, yeah. God's like, well, they did get themselves into this mess. And, you know, I told him before. <laughs> like, God's instinct yeah. as God is just to, to instantly save, to save, interact, to save. Just to get there. And yeah. Jesus here as a child is yeah. like, but what about mom? Yeah. What about I love mom? Love it. Love it. Okay, how about this one, Ty? How can, how can I pray with this chapter in mind? Is there any specific thing that you think, you know, I need to pray about this in my life? And if you want to be a little vulnerable here, you can. Mm -hmm. This isn't just general how others should pray, but is there anything that spoke to you about, hey, this is something I can, I can take on board here? Well, the more you become acquainted with Scripture and you, you, you know, quote-unquote, master the text, you become biblically literate, there is a tendency to be elevated in your own estimation and mm. to be able yeah, 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 yeah. to kind of hold court with anybody and to argue the point. Well, Jesus, Jesus has demonstrated something different here for us. And so, so I'm praying from this chapter that I would basically interact with people the way Jesus is seen here to be interacting with people and, and to not overpower people with 
what I know versus what they don't know. And I don't know a lot, but I know more than some people. And you know when you're in the presence of someone where you have the upper hand and you know things they yeah, don't know. Yeah. And you can just wax on and, and overpower them. And I'm praying that God will, will help me to pause and to interact with people and to, what does it say? Ask questions that are that are suggestive of great truths. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's yeah. really good. Leading questions. Yeah. And to take an attitude of not superiority, intellectual yeah. or spiritual superiority. Yeah. But And I incline that way. I incline to to just basically say, boom, 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 Seven boom. Straight. Don't you get it? Yeah. Why, Why don't you get, you get it? it? Yeah. Because, you know, I get it, so you should get it. But we're at different places in our understanding, so... You know what I mean? So yeah. how, how, how everyone's journey is different. And simultaneously, there's somebody who could overpower me with their knowledge of Scripture and be wondering, why doesn't Ty get it? Mm-hmm. Well, because Ty just in this moment doesn't get it. That's why. He doesn't know what you happen to know in this moment. One of the things that we talked about, I think it was yesterday or the day before, is that we should not compare ourselves among ourselves because... Yeah. It's unrealistic to expect the brand new believer to be able to hold court yeah. or be able, you know, people that have been inveterate followers of Jesus for decades will yeah. very often yeah. look with contempt. Yeah. Like, hey, what, why are you so far behind yeah. in the yeah. race? Yeah, yeah. And this is just... We condemn people for present ignorance on their part that two weeks ago was our ignorance, that one year ago was our ignorance. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? No, I yeah. see exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. I would also say that uh, my prayer is not to let Jesus get three days away from me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, hey, that's what I wrote down. That really? was my, I loved your application, by the way. I yeah. thought your first one was fantastic. I'm going to add that to my prayer. I put here, how can I pray? Lord, help me not to forget or neglect Jesus in my associations with others. Right. You know, right. I'll tell you, this, this occurs to me sometimes. Not always, but often you've just had a great Sabbath service, mm. you've spent time with people, mm-hmm. and then you go to the picnic, you go to the potluck, you go to the fellowship meal, and people are yeah. too easily talking about yeah. mundane things. Right. Look, I'm not holding anybody in contempt. I'm not being judgmental here. I'm just saying... Because I've heard you say some mundane things. That's my point. Yeah. My point is, yeah. is that it's too easy collectively to talk yeah. about the sort of lowest common denominator. Yeah. When somebody in the group needs to be the therm, I told my son just last night, Landon, I said, Landon, in this situation, mm. the circumstance that he described to me, I said, you're either the thermometer or the thermostat. You're yeah, either yeah, reflecting yeah, the temperature yeah. or setting the temperature. And mm. I said, be the thermometer. So yeah. in these situations, if somebody said, yeah. man, I just, I want to talk about the love of God. Yeah, I want to, yeah. What about that yeah. passage? What about that text? Yeah. Then what happens is, everybody's like, oh yeah, 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 mm. yeah, mm. definitely. Let's talk about that. Yeah. But if if you don't have somebody that's, purposefully interjecting mm. Jesus and his love and and his goodness and yeah. the law, uh, then it's just too easy to drift away from it yeah. and to forget. Yeah, yeah. until okay. three days have passed. Three days have passed. Yeah. Okay, and then finally, um, where can I practice this? Where, where can, can I, I practice this? So, so this is sort of an outworking of, of prayer, which you've sort of answered already, but maybe you want to add to that. Why don't I go first and then maybe that'll sort of ignite something okay. for you. Uh, for where can I practice, I put be intentional in social situations, conversations, and gatherings to make sure that I've brought Jesus with me. And then my second application here was, and this has been a major theme already, not to become passe about spiritual realities, not to give mm. into those routines, that day-by-day familiarity right, right, right. that creates a kind of like, yeah, I got this figured out, I've got this sorted. I want to have that that 
that wonder, that that imagination, that astonishment yeah. at every stage of my journey. I'll go with that. I love that. That's 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 the application for me as well. I I, I deeply deeply desperately want to be the kind of person who brings Jesus with me into every situation. Mm. And I mean, not in a, in, in a way, not that, in an you're not way. walking in the room and saying, Hey, is everybody here like spiritually right? <laughs> not like that, you know, I but, know but you, you can bring Jesus with you without even, you know, quoting scripture at people just in your demeanor, your attitude, your spirit, the way you interact with them. And I, I want to be approachable, um, I, I want to be the kind of person with whom other people find it easy to be with, not beautiful. hard to be beautiful. with. Nobody's on edge in my presence. That would be a goal. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Ty, I would be remiss if I didn't give you just a few moments to just talk to us about this book, okay. The Sonship of Christ. I just want to close on that because, you know, this is, this is, this is the moment where he realizes He's the, he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's the son of Joseph yeah, in a yeah. sense, but yeah. now he's transitioned. He's the son of God. And I think this, I've said this before, massively misunderstood mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we draw an instant analogy yeah. between me and my son. And we say, yeah. oh, well, that must be the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So give us the sort of condensed version of this book. Okay. A lot of these people have already read it, I'm sure. But if they haven't, yeah. Yeah. Um, why should they get it? And should they give it to their family members and friends? Well, first of all, I think you should get it because at an average reading speed of 200 words a minute, you can read it in four hours or less. So you can move through the material. Secondly, the subtitle... It's very easy to read. Yeah, the subtitle is uh, really what it's about, exploring the covenant identity of God and, and man, humanity. So, so the, the gist of this book is to work out the implications of the narrative covenant of Scripture mm. as applies to to Christ and as applies to us. And so it's a it's an exercise in what we sometimes refer to as narrative theology. You know, what is the big sweeping picture of scripture? What's the narrative? What's the story? Yeah. Well, you'll read this book and you'll say, oh, so that's what's going on. You'll make connections between the Old Testament yes. and the New Testament. And you'll say, okay, the Old Testament was declaration and prophecy and explanation of what covenant is. And the New Testament is that covenant personified in Christ. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, I would encourage you to read it. Look at there, Mel just says, just bought the book today, I'm excited. You just, you just yeah, yeah. I missed it. Thanks, Mel. So you can get it right now for $9.99 at lightbearers.org. Use the discount code DA with DA. Ty, it's been absolutely awesome to have you here today. It was fun, man, thanks. Thank you for saying yeah. yes. Thank you for yeah. stopping in. And uh, the numbers have been absolutely incredible. So we've got about almost 800 people listening in. Um, Today's been a good, good session, a good lesson. And it's going to feel a little lonely without you tomorrow, Ty. It's going to be lonely, David. (laughs) It's going to be lonely without me. Um, Tomorrow morning, I will be here at 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. So tune in tomorrow for Chapter 9. Was today chapter eight? Yeah, today was eight. Today was eight. So tomorrow, chapter nine, mm-hmm. which is Oh Days of Conflict, mm-hmm. another chapter from the childhood of Jesus. In fact, I think the last one, because yeah, that this is the the third sort of and final chapter right, about right, the childhood right. of Jesus. Mm. Fascinating little phrase there in the Gospel of John, right about how his brothers didn't believe. 
And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow, 9 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. We also have our Q&A tonight, uh, 7 o'clock p.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you have any questions, mm. do your thing, ask the questions, tune in. And you know what would be a really great time? Maybe at some point in the future, because I can add you on here, even if you're not in my physical presence, I can add you to the thing. So maybe you would join us for another DA with DA at some point. Of course. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, DA with Ty... DA with TG doesn't have the same... No, it doesn't. No. Maybe yeah. GC with TG. That sounds all right. Ah. I'm just throwing that that's out. That's an idea. I'm just, I'm just chucking <laughs> it out. Okay, Ty, would you close... Yes, yes. ...prayer for us? Father in heaven, you are so amazing, so incredible. We give you praise and honor for who you are. God, we want to be sons and daughters of the covenant. Amen. We want to... We want to be aware of what you have revealed in Scripture and, God, to walk in that light, to apply it experientially to how we interact with, with people real time on the stage of history. We look to Jesus. He's, mm. our, he's our Savior. He's our example. Amen. We're just amazed at how, how humble he was, Hallelujah. though he was God in the flesh. So God, we pray that, I mean, if he could be humble, certainly, certainly we can mm, be yes. humble. I mean, we yes. know we are like children who are contemplating great mysteries beyond our comprehension. And yet, through the miracle of revelation, mm. we can comprehend beautiful, amazing things. We've done so just now. We've had moments of dawning light and Amen. realization and and we're fired up, God. We are, we are excited and yes. enthusiastic to be covenantal people, to live out the, the love and faithfulness of the covenant in our relationships. God, help us to that end, God. Empower us, remind us, nudge us mm. moment by moment to be in sync with you and to not lose track of you, to not lose sight Amen. of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.